You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute. If you've ever been in the McDonald's drive-thru waiting for an ice cream cone, there's a pretty good chance you drove away feeling disappointed. So why are the machines always broken? An investigative report. When it comes to Easter candy, there's not a more divisive offering than the peep. This week we get to know the little marshmallowy chick-shaped ball of sugar just a little bit better. Product placement fills our screens when we watch television and movies, but it doesn't always go to plan. We'll discuss sometimes that product placement unexpectedly did not quite work out. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. You know, so Dave, I was kind of thinking about the segments that we've done in the past, and we kind of talk about McDonald's a lot. I don't know if you've noticed this. <laughs> We're we do not have like themes. <laughs> we talk about McDonald's. We talk about Chat GPT AI technology. Yeah, we're both not like big McDonald's eaters, but we've talked about Ronald McDonald. We've talked about. I mean, we've gone through a lot of McDonald's segments, and so let's keep the trend going. Uh, today, we're talking McDonald's ice cream. Are you a fan? Really quick, I don't know if I've ever told this story. If I have, I'm just going to tell it again. Uh, I ran a race in Jay's hometown one time, and I got second place in that race. And so after, I think it was the Fourth of July race, and after the race, there was a parade. One of the floats was a McDonald's float, and it had Ronald on it. And so as it came by, I screamed, Ronald, Ronald, I got second. And he looked at me. He, like, we made eye contact, and he gave me this thumbs up with a, huh. Yeah, he probably remembers it just as much as you do. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was the main Ronald. Uh, but anyway, uh, to answer your question, here's the thing. So m- the McFlurry, not bad but pales in comparison to the Dairy Queen blizzard. So if Dairy Queen's anywhere remotely close, I'm going there, I'm getting a blizzard, forget about McDonald's. Now, McDonald's soft serve. You just want a cone, you swing through there. I know you're about to talk about why the machines are, uh, how the McDonald's ice cream machines are always broken, but if it's not broken, one of the rare days that they actually have a working soft serve machine, it's pretty good for a dollar. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like anytime you bring up, it doesn't matter where you are in the country, if you bring up McDonald's ice cream, whoever you're talking to is like, yeah, well, the machine's always broken though, you know? <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's a tale as old as time. It's kind of almost like synonymous with the machine itself. And uh, David, actually in 2016, broken ice cream machines were actually the most common service-related complaint to McDonald's on Twitter. The evidently really widespread trend, it's inspired memes, even change.org petitions, and even lawsuits, and according to the Wall Street Journal, a possible FTC investigation. Now, Dave, ice cream has been on the McDonald's menu for nearly 80 years, but the standard staple soft serve came around much later than that. Overall, ice cream, it's a pretty important component of the McDonald's menu just past the cones. It's the main ingredient in about 60% of their desserts, including their shakes and the McFlurries, like you mentioned. And the Wall Street Journal estimates that ice cream actually accounts for around 3% of all U.S. McDonald's sales, and that's well over $7 million. So if that's the case, 
case, then what's the deal? Why are the machines always broken? So, Dave, to understand this, we have to get some things straight about the machines themselves. One is that an ice cream machine in a McDonald's is a little more advanced than a typical ice cream machine. While a run-of-the-mill machine may have one barrel for mixing, a Taylor brand ice cream machine you'd find in McDonald's has two to speed up the process and make ice cream and shakes at the same time. And while a typical ice cream machine needs to be cleaned every day, a Taylor ice cream machine really only needs cleaned once every two weeks, but it has to be done in an extensive way that requires some very specific knowledge. A Taylor representative told the Wall Street Journal that cleaning the machine is an 11-step process that requires removing seven different parts, including 20 various sized O-rings. One wrong move and the whole machine will fail. It's so complicated, in fact, that one McDonald's tech manager told Wired Magazine that even though he has done the process hundreds of times, he has only ever had the machines work on the first try maybe 10 total times ever. So why does a McDonald's ice cream machine need to be cleaned only every two weeks? Well, according to Mashable, it's due to a nightly pasteurization process that heats the leftover ingredients so they can be refrozen and then reused, saving McDonald's time and money in theory. But since the process takes four hours to complete, and since even something as simple as the consistency of the ingredients can bring the process to a grinding halt, it creates numerous windows of opportunity for the machine to be out of order. If the machine is broken down, according to Vice, the process for repairing them is notoriously tricky. Only a technician who is certified by Taylor can fix one, and getting such a repair person to come to specific McDonald's can sometimes take weeks, so you're essentially at the mercy of Taylor. So within the chaos steps an unlikely hero, Dave, a man named Jeremy O'Sullivan, who with his partner, Melissa Nelson, actually developed a diagnostic device called Kitsch that can connect to Wi-Fi and run diagnostics on an ice cream machine. In the event of an issue, Kitsch can walk an employee, really any employee, through troubleshooting, essentially eliminating the need for a Taylor repair person in many cases. So McDonald's has to be thrilled about this, right? Well, not quite. Statements from the company discourage the use of Kitsch for safety reasons, even warning that installing Kitsch would void the machine's warranty. And so within the injustice, the conspiracy theories are plentiful, Dave. From this is all a money-making scheme by Taylor to that many McDonald's workers just straight up lie to their customers to avoid having to deal with the machine, which, by the way, Dave, broken ice cream machines aren't even one of the top 10 most common repairs in McDonald's kitchens. Now, in September of 2021, the FTC took note and preliminary evidence was gathered to make sure there was no grand scheme foul play by both McDonald's and Taylor. I mean, a survey before the investigation, for example, found that a whopping 25% of all McDonald's stores did not have a working ice cream maker. But in the meantime, you can download an app called McBroken and track which machines are broken in your general vicinity. But the void in your heart, that can only be filled with soft serve ice cream, which you may or may not be able to get depending on the day. So I'm on McBroken right now, uh, and it looks like uh, 10.4% of all machines, so 10% of all McDonald's machines are currently down. (laughs) Um, In our area, it's about 50-50, just depends on the restaurant. New York, 20% are not working. Now, I'll tell you what, though. You live in Boston. Yeah, baby, they're all working. 
I bet this just like makes people, the high ups at McDonald's, they probably just think about this all the time. Like, how do we get this McBroken app taken down? <laughs> My biggest problem with McBroken, tons of pop-up ads. Like, get out of here. I know what you're doing. <laughs> well, I mean, what, you just want them to tell you all this information for free? They got to they gotta yes. put some money in the bank somehow. Jay, it is March right now. And in a few days, it'll officially be the launch of my favorite season, spring. And Jay, with spring comes Easter. What's your favorite Easter-related candy treat? Uh, I know we've had this debate on the podcast before, but I am a fan of the Reese's eggs. I think they're the best sort of like Reese's-themed holiday candy, past the tree, past the pumpkin. I know most people just don't care, but I think the egg has the right sort of like chocolate-peanut butter ratio. so right. Yes, Jay, (laughs) you are right. Not even close. The greatest Easter candy, and it may very well be the greatest candy ever, is the egg-shaped Reese cup. The perfect balance of chocolate and peanut butter. The egg sucks people like you and me in with its delicious laser beam every year. In fact, every Sunday when I go grocery shopping, I somehow leave with like five or six of them in my cart. But I digress. Today we aren't talking about the best Easter candy. No. In my opinion, we're talking about the worst. The disgustingly strange yet fascinating and unique Peep. Are you a Peep fan? No, absolutely not. Yeah, like, keep good. them out of I mean, my house. Keep them out. I don't know how people still buy them. Like, I don't know how there's a market for them. Well, I'm about to tell you. <laughs> Jay, you can immediately see them, right? Typically yellow or pink. Peeps, the marshmallowy candy that is most recognizable when shaped as a baby chick, is an Easter candy staple. Manufactured by the Pennsylvania-based company Just Born, same company, by the way, that makes the also-kind-of-gross Mike and Ike's and Hot Tamales, Peeps became part of the Just Born arsenal when it acquired the Rada Candy Company in 1953. Company president Sam Bourne tasked his son, Bob Bourne, with making some fixes to a chick-like marshmallow product that Just Born had now acquired. Bob promptly removed the wing of the chick and simplified the manufacturing process from 27 minutes per peep to just six, and voila, Jay, the modern peep was born. By the way, the official flavor of all peeps is the same, simply sugar. (laughs) And Jay, love them or hate them, peeps are actually popular. Wallet Hub estimates that around 1.5 billion peeps are purchased every Easter, even though it has the success, though, Jay. They are perhaps the most divisive candy in existence. Multiple best of candy lists list them as the best Easter candy, while an equal amount list them as the worst. There are even Facebook groups devoted to how one should eat a peep with the Huffington Post reporting that 70% of consumers prefer them fresh, while 30%, and I'm not making this up, let them get stale on purpose. See, this I is, thought they came stale. This is what I'm saying. I feel like most people who say they like peeps, they're just contrarians. Like They do That's it because exactly they know it. it bothers you. <laughs> and it does, so they're right. <laughs> and of course, extensive research has been done on peeps. In 1999, for example, researchers at Emory University performed perhaps the most exhaustive peep test in human history, 
trying to discover just how durable the marshmallow candy was. Jay, this is straight from the report. To test peep solubility, they began with simple tap water, then moved on to boiling water, then to acetone, sulfuric acid, and sodium hydroxide, but were left dumbfounded by peep's apparent invulnerability to each. Then they tried phenol, a protein-dissolving solvent lethal to humans in amounts as small as a single gram. Peeps proved mortal to such a substance for a while. One hour after plunging an unfortunate peep into its grisly demise, all that remained in the beaker was a pair of brown wax eyes floating in a purple soup. (laughs) So think about what your stomach has to go through to digest these things. Peeps are also now an art form. In 2006, the Washington Post launched the annual Peep Show Diorama Art Contest, where participants were asked to create 3D scenes in which all characters are portrayed by Peeps. And Jay had had such a cult following that when the Post decided to discontinue it in 2017, the staff at the Washington City Paper took it upon themselves to keep it alive. No surprise here either, but peeps also have a seat at the table in the competitive eating world. In 2016, Matt Stoney took home the first ever World Peep Eating Championship, consuming 200 peeps in just five minutes. So Jay, love them like apparently some people do, or hate them like us. You gotta admit that peeps are interesting. In fact, they've even infiltrated pop culture in a way that no other Easter-based candy ever has. When the controversial show Roseanne, starring Roseanne Barr, was revived a few years ago for a short run, the first episode features Roseanne at a table eating breakfast. And Jay, what does the breakfast consist of, you ask? Yep, peeps. Well, I don't expect anything different from Roseanne. That's totally expected (laughs) from her. But, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, we've pretty much alienated a lot of people in our audience uh, over the past month or so. And now we've potentially alienated uh, all of the uh, people who love peeps. So, um, you know, please don't leave us uh, over this segment. But let's let's be honest. Maybe you need to look in the mirror and do some evaluation of yourself. To the two folks out there who are eating peeps, it's you. So Dave, you work in marketing and um, I just kind of imagine that you are kind of scared a lot. Maybe like you're just laying in bed, staring at the ceiling and what you're scared of is you're thinking about the things that you've put into the world to market. Maybe that those things will be interpreted in the wrong way. Like how often do you sit around and just worry about marketing and, and rethink things and think like, wait a minute, was that a good idea that that went out like that? Yeah, I I tell my folks all the time, it's a lot easier to be a critic than a creator for a reason. For sure. (laughs) Because when you create something, you're opening yourself up to people just nitpicking it. And so really the thing that worries me is not that something's going to bomb, because most things are at least rooted in a best practice. It's that we've put something out where there's a horrible misspelling. <laughs> and, and it's just going to be consumed for a long time before we catch it. Because there are certain words, I mean, they, you just, they look right. You can look at them over and over and over and over, and, and it just sometimes they're wrong. You just got to deal with it. I picture that you'll like use somebody for an ad one day, and then you'll just, uh, a couple months later, somebody will send you an email that that person that's on a giant billboard was like found out to be this like terrible person or something like that. Now, that has happened. That has happened. I have put somebody in an ad that uh, was in jail, and I didn't realize this person was in jail, so it took a while. 
I mean, you just can't plan for that. You know, that's not your fault. Just another Monday. Man. <laughs> well, Dave, we'll be discussing some of the most interesting product placement fails that have happened over recent years. So product placement is a form of advertising where brands pay to have their products featured in movies or TV shows or any other forms of media. While product placement can be an effective marketing strategy, it can also go wrong in hilarious but also really unexpected ways. So let's take a look uh, at the first example, which happened during the 2013 Academy Awards. Samsung paid for product placement during the show, and as part of their marketing strategy, they handed out Samsung Galaxy Note tablets to all of the audience members. But during the ceremony, host Ellen DeGeneres decided to take a selfie with several celebrities, but instead of using her Samsung tablet, you guessed it, she used her own iPhone. The photo caused a social media uproar and was probably one of the most viewed photos of the last few years, but Samsung's product placement was absent in it and kind of made it look like a waste of money at the end of the day. Dave, another example of the damage product placement can do came in February of 2019 when college basketball star Zion Williamson went down hard in the middle of one of the most important college basketball games of the year between Duke and North Carolina. Williamson, who was the biggest star in college basketball at the time and a lock for the number one overall NBA draft pick in the upcoming draft, happened to be wearing the Nike PG 2.5 when he fell and right on camera, his foot exploded out of the shoe like a jack in the box. (laughs) And there he was, the biggest basketball star in college, writhing in pain with a tattered Nike shoe hanging from his foot. Late night comedians took shots at Nike, social media lit up at Nike's expense, and the company actually lost $1.2 billion in stock value. Now, luckily for Nike, Williamson's injury turned out to be a grade one sprain, but a much worse injury could have not only jeopardized their stock even more, but could have led to expensive lawsuits from Duke or from Williamson himself. And Dave, our final example is one of the most famous product placement fails of recent years, and it involves Pepsi and Kendall Jenner. In 2015, Pepsi released a controversial ad featuring the model and reality TV star in which she appeared to solve a political protest by handing a police officer a can of Pepsi. Dave, the ad could not have been more poorly timed. There were protests going on across the nation after the death of George Floyd, and the backlash was so swift, with Pepsi taking fire on social media and across news networks. The ad was quickly pulled, and Pepsi issued a public apology in the company's attempt to use social activism to sell their product not only massively backfired, but it just led to accusations of tone deafness and a lack of understanding of the social issues at hand. So in conclusion, Dave, product placement can be a tricky marketing strategy. If it goes wrong, it can be a costly mistake. These examples show that product placement can be unpredictable and sometimes even kind of funny for us. So the next time you're watching a movie or TV show or commercial and you see brand placement, just remember it might not always work out the way it was intended. There are a lot of great examples, though, of product placement and product placement at its best is really done when you're not even thinking about it until later. Right. So two examples would be Castaway with Tom Hanks, great film. His best friend is a volleyball named Wilson because it's a Wilson brand volleyball. Genius. Another example would be Lego. 
Lego just said, you know what, we're just going to make a Lego movie. Does it get any better than that? <laughs> so, you know, I was thinking about Castaway because, uh, you know, there's like a million examples of FedEx in Castaway. Oh, FedEx, too. Yeah. Well, the guy yeah. who, like, I guess made Castaway, like who funded the movie, also is the head of FedEx or was the head of FedEx. So the whole you thing was just genius. like a giant commercial for FedEx at the end of the day. <laughs> Beautiful. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. We're on social. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jason, and I'm Dave Trump. We'll see you next week. I'm just thinking about how the... Oh, wait. What was I going to say? Hold on. Shoot, I had something in my head. Let me think about it, and then I'll I'll re- do the whole thing. Um, uh, gosh, I'm blanking. Um, okay, <clears throat> all right. Let me try this. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we're talking McDonald's ice cream. I'm trying to think like. Um, <laughs>